Hello, everyone. Welcome again to Refuge Fellowship. It's just great to be here with you all. I uh, Again, I'm just blessed to be a part of this fellowship and just blessed to have this time to share with you God's Word. For this week, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this just amazing time, this time that we can fellowship, we can read, just read and study your Word. We can just examine ourselves as we look to our this these passages, Lord, that Lord, I just pray that your your Holy Spirit would just speak to each one of us, Lord. I, I don't want to hear from man. I want to hear from you. You know, as we study in this section in Acts and we see Peter and John as they're going out so boldly, Lord, I pray for that same outpouring of the Spirit, that same filling of the Spirit, Lord, that we would just hear from you. We would see signs. We would see miracles, Lord, and we would just see preaching that's bold. And Lord, your Holy Spirit would just just use this time. Lord, I just thank you so much, Lord, for that gift you've given us in that. And Lord, I just ask also and pray that everyone's internet would work well, their power would remain on, and the distractions would just be minimal, Lord, that their focus would be on you. They would take this time this Sunday to spend just this hour, Lord, just to listen, to hear, to hear from you. So Lord, I just pray that you would speak a message to each and one of our hearts, Lord, that we'd be able to apply it throughout our week, and that we'd be able to go out Lord, and fulfill the purpose that you've given for each one of us. In Jesus' name, I ask all these things. Amen. So I'm not sure who was all with us last week. I think some of you were for sure. And as we were studying here in Acts chapter 4, we were learning about the early church. I'll tell you, as, as I was reading about this church, and I think as we see this, it was just an amazing church, right? We see all these people being healed, we see miracles being performed, we see bold preaching, we see unity, we see people just sharing with each other that nobody was going without, I just see peace, I see just exponential growth in the church, thousands coming to the Lord, we see people going to jail but getting then released, uh, this is like an amazing church that we've seen, right? It was just amazing. We've been reading and studying about Peter and John, right, and the lame man, and, and we read about how he was healed in the name of Jesus. And then this layman and Peter and John, they went into the temple and they were praising and they were worshiping God in the temple. I don't know how many remember the story, but this, this miracle that was performed, this layman being restored was a picture, right? It's a picture of so many of us and anyone that will come to faith in Jesus Christ. A picture of how a once hopeless person that was bound by their sin can then be born again into a new life as a child of God, entering into a new into a new relationship with God. And then hopefully our result our reaction would be the same as the lame man. We would be continually praising and worshiping God just as that lame man did. Um, you know, as we read last week and a few weeks before we we noticed that many people in the temple and around took notice of, of the miracle that had happened to the lame man. And as people started to take notice of this radical change that happened in this man's life, some came to faith, right? But others, mainly the religious leaders of the day, they felt threatened. And they even, as we talked about just a minute ago, they arrested the disciples. So as we see all these things that had happened, right, from the, the miracle of the lame man to these two disciples being arrested, during all these events that were taking place in the early church, we see one common thread, we see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we see the gospel being proclaimed in a very bold way. Jesus was preached. 
throughout this entire situation. The Holy Spirit was using whatever was taking place to boldly proclaim the good news, which we know there's results of this, right? They were told, in the end, to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. We know this. But again, after they were released, more united. They prayed. They were both united in heart and in mind. This church was full of the Holy Spirit. It was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they boldly, boldly proclaimed the resurrected Jesus to the lost. So this church, this early church, again, amazing, right? It was growing daily. And we, again, nobody was going without. As different needs came up in the church, they came together. And the followers, they donated in. They took care of all the people's needs. And then, as we closed up last week, Barnabas. We learned about Barnabas. If you were in Acts chapter 3, the last part of chapter 4, sorry. We learned that he was a very, very faithful man, we read, right? And we learned how he sold a piece of property, and he had given these proceeds from the sale of the property to the church. And I'm sure as you think about this, with what Barnabas had done, that he was very thanked for all the church members and the apostles for what he was done. But really, I think... He didn't do it for this. He was being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, we know that he didn't give this donation or do this to become part of the early church. That wasn't required. It was in faith alone that was what was required. So looking for a minute as we kind of reviewed there, let's look at our world today. You know, as I think of our world today, I think about what is going on and the different religions that were around. And, you know, it's very interesting that there's so many different religious organizations out there, right? And then in this country, I don't know if you noticed, but as you go around, sometimes I've seen in front of the different religious buildings, I'll see these big lists, huge lists, like eight foot by 10 foot walls with people's names on it. And then after the names, it says like how much they donated, I don't know if you guys have seen that or not, but I've seen that. You know, I'm sure that some of these people, as you see this, and the reason they donate is to maybe be known or to be elevated within their community, that everyone will know how wealthy they are or how generous they are because they put their name up and how much they donated. You see these big boards everywhere. Now, I have, in this fellowship and the churches I've attended, I've never had a list like this, you know, a big list on the wall with the names and what people donate. And then, you know... I never will. <laughs> I'm not going to have a list or a big plaque or a thermometer. So that way everyone can know who is donated to our little red box in the back, right? I'm not going to do that because I'm going to tell you God has always been faithful to this fellowship. He's always been faithful to meet the needs of this fellowship, to meet the needs of my family, uh, to meet the needs of our team that's here. And as I believe he's been so faithful to us. If any of you have any needs, true needs, God is always faithful, and we would love to see him provide for you too. So let us know if there's any, especially in this COVID time and this time of lockdown, God is so faithful. So if you have any needs, just reach out to us. Let us know, because just as this early church provided for one another, we also at church today can provide for one another and help out when needs arise. So we want to do that, and we want to glorify God in that, in reaching out and providing for people's needs, not having a big list or seeking, you know, people's, you know, I don't know, looking towards us for what we've done. We want to glorify God. So after I just said all this, um, you know, this, I believe this same kind of problem 
happened in Jesus's time just as well as it happens today, right? People giving to the church or giving to other religious organizations for their own selfish ambitions, right? To be noticed or to be, you know, brought up in their community. Um, you know, I, it happens in churches, right? Just as well as other religious. I've seen that even in churches here, even in this country or in my home country, that sometimes certain families that are wealthy that donate a lot, right? They'll have, maybe they could have special seating for them, right? The more comfortable chairs up front. If it's not up front, they're really nice. Maybe it's even on the stage. I don't know. But that way everyone can know that they donated a lot. We won't be doing that here. I'm sure as we looked at this story about Barnabas, right? I think he was probably thanked, obviously, by the apostles for his large donation that he did give. I mean, it was known. It's written about here, right? But I think he, he didn't do it for this reason. He didn't do it for selfish ambition. He did it by the leading of the Holy Spirit, not seeking a position or other people's acknowledgement in what he's done. This week, we're going to see that the early church was indeed amazing, as we've been studying, right? But they had problems just like the church has today, didn't they? You know, not a lot has changed because the church had the same hidden sin and secret sin among the church that we still face today, just as it did in Jesus's time. And that's what we're going to study today. So if you got your Bibles, Acts chapter five, and we're going to start in the first two verses. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property He bought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was a full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So we see, even in the earliest church, in the earliest beginnings of the church, they still faced sin from within its own walls, right? It's full of people. Ananias had lied about the money that he had received from the sale of the property, Look at the story and imagine yourself in the story. I ask you to do this or place yourself in the story, right? Think of it. A church full of people, full of sinners. And I think we know people enough. We know the human nature of people, sin, to assume that these two here, I think so, they saw these other followers. They saw Barnabas, right, as they had shared with the church, right? And they saw the reaction of the other Christians, the other followers to Barnabas. Oh, thank you so much, maybe. I'm so glad you did that. I mean, look back at Acts chapter 4. Look at verse uh, 36. It says right here, it talks about that, 36 and 37. One of the apostles named Barnabas, he was from the tribe of Levi, came to the, and it says, continues, 37. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. You know, I thought about this, and I, in Myanmar, you know, the, they have the basket, right, or the bag, right? They do a bag that they pass around for tithings and offerings. I think most people are familiar with this. So think about this. If you're in church and they're passing, passing this basket around or this bag around and everyone's taken and they're putting their tithing in the little bag, right? You put your, you close your hand up, right, so nobody can see what's in your hand. And you dip down deep into that bag and then you release your tithing and then you come back up, right? So no one can see, right? That's kind of what you do. So when you see that offering bag go around in your church, do you feel obligated to put something in? Because everyone around you is putting something in? Because you just, I mean, everyone else is, I should put something in too. But what if it's the bag's coming your way and you don't have any money? 
Or maybe legitimate, you just like left your money at home or something, right? I'm not saying it's like malintentions or anything, but maybe you just don't have any money in your pocket right then. You know, I don't always have money in my pocket. So what do you do? Do you, do you still put your hand in that bag and act like you put something in, even though there was no money in your hand? Because you don't want to look odd, right? You don't want to be the only person that just passes it, right? You that? Do you ever do that? Have you ever acted like you give tithe, even though you didn't? Because just because, you know, peer pressure, right? Because you didn't want to be that person. Have you ever done that? Some of you are like, no, 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 no. I'd never do that. I give my tithes all the time, right? Maybe some of you have done that. I personally, I felt really uncomfortable, especially when I've preached and shared at churches, and I won't have my wallet on me because I'll be up preaching, and they'll come up to the stage and they'll hand that bag up to me, and I don't have any money on me. It's not that I wasn't going to tithe. I just don't have it in my pocket because I usually left it back there, you know, somewhere else. It's like, what do I do? Do I just put my hand in there and act like I had something? I don't know. What about this? Okay, so maybe some of you don't do that and you're just really holy. What about a large donation? Maybe you have, you've been blessed somehow and you, you're tithing a large donation. Do you just place that large donation right into the bag Right? Close-handed that nobody sees it and just drop it in. Is that what you do if you had a large donation? Or, just to be safe, do you take that large donation and give it to the pastor so he knows it came from you? What do you do? I'm not condemning anyone on one way or the other. I'm just kind of mentioning it here that this type of tithing and offerings was taking place the same in the early church as it does today, right? Barnabas gave this large offering, right? These people saw this, right? They'd sold their things. They were given to the church. But were they? how were they doing it? What was their heart behind giving it? What is your heart? We just read this first that Barnabas was mentioned by name. And even, he doesn't say the amount, but it was a large amount because it was the sale of a property. So it had to have been a fairly large amount. And he's so, I mean, he's mentioned in the Bible for doing this. I mean, it must have been a good donation, right? He got his name on the list. So what are the reasons that you give tithes and offerings to the church? Many people give for many different reasons, right? I believe Ananias' heart in giving that we're going to study and we read here wasn't pure, right? He wasn't doing because the Bible says to tithe or because the Holy Spirit had led him to give. I believe perhaps he was looking to be known or acknowledged such as Barnabas was or the others, Or he was looking for some type of personal attention for his family to be noticed. I believe this. It it stated here that they sold property just as Barnabas did, right? Barnabas sold property. They sold property. But then what happened with Ananias and his wife? They told the church that they had given the entire amount they received for that sale of that property to the church. They lied. They just blatantly lied. They kept some of that money or a lot of that. I don't know how much. Maybe half. Maybe. I don't know. But they kept some of that money secretly, hiding it from the church, trying to hide it from God, while telling everyone around that they had given their all. Right? They had laid everything they had out for God, for the church. But in their back pocket was a big stack of money they were hiding. Now, as I said this, I want to take a minute and explain There was nothing, and there would have been nothing wrong with Ananias not giving the money to the church from the sale of the property, right? He didn't need to give any money to the church. That's not what this story is about, right? 
anything that he would have given would have been a huge blessing, right? He could have given 5%, 1%, 50%. It didn't matter, right? Anything would have been a blessing to the church, right? It was his property to sell. It was his money to do with what he wanted. That's not what the story is about. The point is, he came and he lied before the church and before God, saying he had laid it all down before Jesus, and he hadn't. That was the problem. Hidden sin, secret sin. Just because Barnabas had been so generous, right? It didn't mean Ananias needed to do the same thing. It wasn't some requirement of the early church or the church today for that fact. The amount given isn't the problem. Or even if he had given anything, the problem was they lied about what he had given to God. Now, as I think about this, I think we need to look at this deeper. Why did him and his wife lie like this? Why did they lie to the church? Why did they lie to God? Why did they lie to the, mainly to God, but also to the apostles? Why did they try to hide something from God when they confessed they'd given all? They were lying to God. Why? I think that as we look at this, I think all of us have to just take a minute and assess ourselves and look at our personal lives and our personal relationship. And we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us. Is there anything in our lives that we're holding back? Right? Now, I'm not necessarily talking about money here, right? I mean, this story is about money, but there's a much bigger lesson in this, right? It could be anything, couldn't it? It could be absolutely anything. Is there anything in your life you say, I've surrendered to the Lord, I give my life to the Lord, I am yours, God, but there's something you're holding back? What could it be? It could be so many things. I'm going to tell you, I'm guilty. And I've been guilty. I've been this kind of hypocrite, right? I surrender to you, Lord. I love you. I'm a follower of you, but not this part of my life, right? This part's mine, right? Or this part's over here. No, you can't have that part, God. You don't have, you don't get that sin. That's my little secret. Or maybe I got a little money over here just in case you're not faithful, right? I got a little stash in the back, right? Kind of like these guys. I've done that. I have done that. And uh, I've been rebuked for that by the Lord. I've professed that I've surrendered my life to Jesus, but held something secret back. Some, it could be sin. It could be not trusting the Lord. It could be some certain areas of my life. Keeping something back just in case this Jesus thing or this this calling of my life didn't work out, right? Just in case, right? Holding something back. Just like these guys did. I'll tell you right, this is a sin. And this sin will come between your relationship between you and God. But it, it will destroy you also. It's very apparent in this message. Hidden secret sin will lead to destruction. It will destroy you. Starting with your relationship with the Father and then permeating through your entire lives. We need to pray. Because I'll tell you, a lot of times we don't even know sometimes, right? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. We need to pray that if there's any secret or hidden sins, they would be brought out to the light. They would, As we continue in this text today, be in prayer. Be in prayer that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. Is there anything in your life that you have not completely surrendered to the Lord or that you've kept from the Lord or kept from the church? Is it sin? You know, it could be so many different things. I, I, everyone's a little different, right? Now, again, I want to remind you, this story is not about what 
they gave, right? Or how they gave. But it was, they'd hidden, they'd lied to God about what they had done or what they were doing. That's what this story is really about. Just as it's, it's not about what, you know, in our lives, it's not about what sins we have done or not done. Or even some sin that maybe we're currently struggling with, right? You know, yes, Christians struggle with sin even today, right now, in this very moment. That's not what this story is about, is it? It's not what we've done in the past or what we're struggling with now or maybe what we'll struggle with in the future. It's about being honest about our sin. It's about being honest before God. That's what this is about. It's about surrendering completely to God. Everything. Being honest about our sin, to lay your sin down at the cross, to bring that sin from the darkness, right? From them hidden dark places, to bring it out into the light, to lay it at the cross so Jesus can free you from that hidden bondage that maybe some of you are in. Lying to God will only bring one thing. One thing. The story is very clear. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you... Let Satan fill your heart. You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. It's very apparent that the Holy Spirit right now is speaking a word of knowledge through Peter, right? I mean, Peter couldn't have probably had this knowledge on his own, right? The Holy Spirit obviously is, is giving him some word of knowledge or some discernment and is confronting Ananias' sin to him and before the church, right? This is done through the Holy Spirit. And I think you can read here, and I, I, I believe Peter's tone, right? Do, what is his tone here? I mean, at first you might think it's a little harsh. I don't think it is. I don't think it at all. I think it's out of compassion. I really do. I think Peter is actually even grieving and very upset for what's taken place, right? I think he truly felt sorry for Ananias. I think so. Just as you think about it, just as Judas fell this in, Ananias has allowed Satan's temptations to manifest itself into sin, right? Peter's, he's upset with this. This wasn't a, I can't believe you did this. This was... He's grieving for him. I can't believe this is so unfortunate, right? So I think that you have to look at this and think and realize Peter's heart in rebuking this man. It wasn't in judgment. This wasn't Peter's judgment. This is Peter confronting him in love. Satan had filled this man's heart and mind with sinful desires. Then it led him to lie to the Holy Spirit, to lie to God. And, you know, as this is all taking place here, this was a process that happened, right? It didn't just, boom, happen, right? Sin is usually a process, isn't it? You know, it probably started, and I just don't, I can only imagine as it started, maybe maybe even with some honest intentions, right? Maybe him and his wife, they come to the church, they're like, we're all in. Let's do this. Barnabas, look at this example. Look what Barnabas did. You know, he sold this. We got some property, honey. Let's sell some property. Let's give it to the church, right? So maybe their intentions started really honest. But at some point, Satan had spoken some kind of temptations, and they had allowed that to, to change. He had spout, spoken lies, right, to them. And lies to the point that greed had come in, right? Pride had come in. To the point now that 
sin had come in. Now they had come to the point where maybe it was some honest intentions, but it had led to the point now that they had kept some of the money, trying to hide it from God, to keep it secret, just in case maybe this Jesus thing didn't work out. That's the way I see it. Allowing Satan and his temptation, allowing Satan and his temptation to enter into him to produce sin and then hiding, trying to hide this sin from God. You know, I didn't write it in my notes, but I, you know, I think, I think, you know, Genesis, right? Adam and Eve running around, you know, trying to dress themselves, hiding from God from the sin that they had done. I mean, they knew he knew, right? But Satan had tempted them, right? Then they listened to the lies. Then they sinned. Then they tried to hide their sin from God. Such a similar story. This sin had manifested itself into pride. Um, you know, I think you can imagine him walking in, right, to this church or this building. And Ananias, right, just uh, giving this money, right, expecting, I'm sure, oh, thank you so much. It's such a blessing to the fellowship, such a blessing to the church. I'm sure that's what he was expecting. I mean, he wasn't expecting to walk in, you know, and not be praised, right? Instead, what happened? His sin was brought out for all to see within the church. You weren't lying to us, but you were lying to God. I don't think this is what he uh, was expecting when he walked in that day to give that money. He had been rebuked by God through Peter for his sin. Let's continue. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about this was terrified. And some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Just to be clear, let's make sure everyone understands this. Peter did not kill this man, right? This has nothing to do with Peter. Uh, it's not by anything Peter had said or done that led to this man's death. This, his death didn't have anything to do with Peter. In no which way is Peter responsible for this. In fact, I bet you Peter was probably the most surprised of them all for what had just happened. Right? I mean, you could think about that. You're rebuking someone, right? And all of a sudden, they just like fall over dead. Could you imagine? He probably felt pretty guilty, if anything. It had nothing to do with Peter, right? God did do this, but it had nothing to do with Peter. Uh, you know, this was a huge, huge statement made by God in the early church about hidden secret sin, about lying to God, and that it does not belong within his church. And I believe that's what it was here. You know, as we know this, we know that Jesus, right, his mercy, and he's full of grace, and he's full of forgiveness, and he's always one for restoration, right? Always. But this is for those that will confess and repent of their sin, right? This is for those who will confess and repent of their sin, that mercy and that grace and that forgiveness. Because we're warned here, if a person refuses this gift of having their sins forgiven, of the having the chains broken, of that bondage broken from their sin, death will come at some point. That's the only other option. And, you know, we never know, none of us, we never know when or how this is going to happen, right? I mean, I go back, I was jogging with a buddy the other day, and he got sideswiped by a bus, right? Never know. He was fine. But, you know, you never know when an unexpected event can be, and it could be your last day, right? I just came just past my one-year anniversary of being out of the hospital. Um, you know, I almost died twice in my early 40s. Perfect health, so I thought. 
You never know. You never know when your last moments may be. The point is that here, if we have hidden secret sin or things in our lives that we have not surrendered to God and laid down at the cross and let Jesus give it to God, give it to Jesus and be freed from it. Because you never know. Let's continue. Look at verses 7 and 8. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Was this the price that you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. Again, I think we have Peter and we got to see his heart, right? Why did he ask this? Was it to condemn her? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think Peter was searching and hoping for repentance from this woman, for truth from this woman, hoping even maybe that she wasn't even involved, right? Maybe it was just her husband. She didn't even know about it, maybe, right? I think Peter was really hoping that. But unfortunately, with sin, right, that's usually not the case, is it? Even though our sins may be secret to us, or we think hidden from others or hidden from God to us, it usually doesn't work that way, does it? It usually draws many around us into its effects, right? Even though they may, we may think it's secret or hidden, even though we may try to shield or control it from getting outside of our box in our lives, we can't control the spread of sin. Sin always grows, right? It always grows and it manifests and it, and it starts bringing itself into other areas of our lives, into other area, people around us. It's the way sin works. Let's, let's, let's see what else Peter's got to say in verse 9. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? Again, we see Peter's heart. He's grieved. The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Again, we see this knowledge that Peter had, obviously, was supernatural. It was through this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Again, look at verse 9 again. Look at verse 9. How could you even think of this, conspiring to test the Lord like this? This wasn't condemnation from Peter. This was grief. This was sadness. This didn't need to happen, right? This didn't need to happen. Peter knew this. This didn't need to happen. You don't have to live this way with hidden, secret sin, lying to yourself, lying to God. My heart just pours out. As I I was studying and I read this, there's those of you that are living in sin that have, and you know it. I, I, I pray the Holy Spirit, if you don't know it, the Holy Spirit would reveal it to you. But so many of us, and this was me, this is my own testimony, we, were, we had this sin, we have these compartments in our different areas in our lives that were not holy, were not righteous. And yet, I would fight each and every day to control this sin that was there, trying, trying to control it. But it was, it was just darkness. I was alone. You don't have to fight this fight alone of trying to control, trying to defeat sin. If we would just be honest, right? That's why we have brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. This is why we have a Lord and Savior. We, we're not alone. We're not alone in this fight against sin. We are here as a fellowship. We are here as brothers and sisters. We're here to come alongside you. And Jesus is there. Most of all, foremost, Jesus is there to pull you up out of this sin that many of you are drowning in, in this secret and hidden sin. As you're drowning in it, trying to control it. You don't have to struggle anymore. Just reach up, reach out, and confess, I can't do this anymore. 
I don't want this hidden sin in my life. I don't want this secret part of my life. I don't want to live. I don't want to be a hypocrite no more. Bring your sins out in the open. Let Jesus free you from this bondage. I think this was Peter's heart. You don't have to live this way. Repent. Confess. Give it to Jesus. He's already taken care of it for you. But as long as you're going to keep it, if you want to keep it, this will be the result. It will be the result. Let's see. Look at verse 10. Instantly, she fell on the floor and died. When the young man came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. This message is so clear. Sin leads to death unless we repent of it. No one, no one, no one ever needs to fall to the power of sin. Ever. Because sin's power was defeated. It was taken away. It was defeated on the cross. All we got to do is lay our sin to take it out of that dark corners of our lives and put it in the light and put it in the front of Jesus. But lay it down at his feet. Lay it down at the cross. Turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins. And allow the Holy Spirit to transform you then into the person that God wants you to be. Last verse. Look at verse 11. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. This sounds scary, right? I mean, you read this. This fear sounds scary. I'll tell you, if you imagine yourself in your story, I think all of us have been pretty freaked out, right? I mean, whether you're Peter or not. I mean, two people just fall over dead, right? I mean, this would be scary, right? There's no denying I'd been freaked out if I'd just seen this. Fear? Yeah, I could see that happening. This lesson to me, though, I see in this is that we do need to fear God. But we need to fear having sin, hidden secret sin in our lives. Do you fear having sin in your life? That's a big question. Do you fear having sin in your life? I need the Holy Spirit to examine me and every one of us. You know, we take communion, all of us, right? And one of the things that I, we talk about and see in the scriptures is one of the things we do before we take the Lord's Supper is we examine ourselves, right? We see. Lord, is there unrepented sin in my life? Is there sin in my life that I'm struggling with and I'm having troubles defeating or overcoming? Is there some areas in my life, some hidden secret areas that I keep from everyone, including God? This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to examine ourselves and bring that and lay it at the cross, lay it before Jesus. Give it to him. He can take it. We can't. We can't do it. Ask God to bring out and reveal any secret hidden sins in your life. Are you lying to God about sin? Not confessing it, not repenting of it, just keeping it in your back pocket. Are you lying to others? Oh, here's one. Are you lying to yourself about sin in your life? We do not have to live in the bondage of sin. And we're not alone in the fight against sin. Reach out. Bring that sin to the light. Be free from its bondage. And embrace what Jesus has done for each of us on the cross. Today we read, which I believe is two people that profess to be followers of Jesus, right? These two profess to be Christians, right? And maybe they were. I don't know. That's a big question. Were they saved? Were they not saved? I don't know. I studied a lot and I looked into it. I don't know. I'm not sure their faith. One thing, they were used by God. They were used to provide the church then and today a very, very stern warning. Right? They started with being part of this early church, these two. But then, 
As they started to become part of this early church, these two, they saw the generosity of others. And they saw the people's reaction, maybe, to people like Barnabas and their generosity, right? And maybe then is when Satan whispered things. I'd like to be acknowledged like that. I don't know how this worked exactly. I don't know. But I can imagine this is how it maybe would work. Then at some point, they fell to the temptation that Satan had planted in their minds. You know, they at some point they decided to sell this property. But then Satan had instilled in them some doubt, some lies, maybe some greed, some pride, lies, sin. You know, this can happen to every single one of us in all different areas of our lives. And this is the fight we fight, the fight against Satan's temptations, that we won't fall to them temptations and it won't become sin in our life. We've got to be honest. I'm a pastor. I struggle with sin, the fight to fight it every single day. It's not happened to be selling a property and money, in my case, today. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and fellowship with other believers, I'm not alone. Jesus has given me what I need to overcome these things. But if I keep them secret and hidden and hidden somewhere, it's not going to work. What things does Satan trip you up with? What things does he tempt you with? I think each one of us is different, right? Each, but Satan knows. He knows every one of you so well. He knows me so well. He knows my weaknesses. He knows where to attack me. He knows when to attack me. He knows how to attack me. He knows what to use to attack me. If we try to control Satan in his attacks, we will most likely fail. What do you think of that? We will fail. Or do we be honest? Are we honest about sin in our lives and the temptations that we face? Are we honest, first of all, with God? Right? Do we bring this before God? God, I'm struggling with this. Help me. You know how he helps us, though, many times is through his word, through his Holy Spirit, and through the church, through other brothers and sisters. There's many people that will come alongside you and walk with you and, and help you in these areas. But we can't do what we don't know. Together with God and, and the church and praying for the Holy Spirit and bringing these sins out into the light, we can defeat this. Because I tell you, any sin that is left in darkness that you're is by yourself and you're going to keep trying to control, you'll fail. You will fail. Let go of any hidden, embarrassing, secret. Lay down your pride. Let go of the control. And put that sin at the feet of Jesus. Let Jesus do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He defeated sin. He defeated sin. And through our faith in him, we can join in that resurrection, right? But if we're going to keep it hidden in secret, it's going to lead to death. That's what this story clearly, clearly shows. Lying to yourself, lying to your church, and most of all, lying to God about your sin. Believing that you have it in control and that you can handle it on your own is extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. Let go of whatever's holding you back. Let God heal you and be honest first most with God and then those around you. These passages that we read today, they're, they're directly talking about this couple on a physical death, right? We just read that, right? This is what this, their sin had led to, right? To this physical death. Now, I've been around death a little bit, and I've seen it take some people, right? And I'll tell you, usually when death comes, it's not like this story. Where, boom, they fall over dead. 
right? That's usually really not how it happens, is it? No? Usually, it's a long, drawn-out process, isn't it? Step by step, it's a process. Death is a process. Unrepentant sin will always lead to death. Not necessarily a physical death, but in time it will. Death of our relationships. Death of our relationship with God. Death of our relationships with our family. Death of our relationship with our friends. Death of the joy and the peace that God wants you to have. Death of a purpose that God has for each one of you. That's what unrepentant, hidden secret sin will lead to. Death. But never usually like this in this quick fashion, is it? It's usually a process. I'd like to close with the scripture. I know this message has probably been difficult. It's not a scripture I would chose to preach on. That's why I do believe going by verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. Because we're forced to address issues in, in scripture in our lives that we otherwise would like to keep back somewhere else and not bring up to the surface. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's hope. There's a promise. It's so much more than hope. It's guaranteed. It's a promise. Right? The free gift of God is eternal life. It's freedom from that sin. It's freedom from the bondage. It's breaking of the chains. But you, you can't have this secret hidden sin. You've got to lay it at the cross. You've got to be honest with God. You've got to lay it down and say, here it is, Lord. Take it all. Surrender my all. It's that song sings. And I say this, and I'm preaching to myself. I've walked through so much of this in my own life. I had things in my life that I lived two lives, really. I'd come to church on Sunday. During the week, I'd live a different life. I had one life for these people, one life for this person, one life for God, one life for another. And then I had sins. You know, even as these people with the money, you know, I remember, yes, Lord, I'm going to fulfill your calling. I'm going to follow that. But I had a little backup plan, (laughs) just in case, right? I don't have any backup plan anymore. I have one plan. That's to follow Jesus and lay it all down at the cross. Please join me in prayer. And after prayer, we'll continue our worship service. Maybe with some uh, Christmas songs. I'm not sure what Christians got planned. Uh, but please, just stay tuned after the prayer. And we'll be back with you shortly. Heavenly Father, such a difficult message, Lord, as we talk about fear and death and sin and hidden sins and secret sins. And Lord, I don't want any of this in my life. I want to be an open book before you. Starting, just just start with that, Lord, before you. I want to lay everything I am at the foot of the cross. I want to lay everything I am at the altar. Say, here it is, Lord, I, I keep nothing in reserve. The nastiest, darkest things about me, I want to lay them down in front of you, Lord. I want to confess them to you, Lord, and I want to repent from these sins. And I want you, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, just to bring righteousness into my life, to bring holiness into my life, Lord, that I would lay these things down, Lord. I would confess them to you. Lord, if there's anything in my life, whether I even acknowledge it or know it, you would bring them to up front, open, out of the darkness into your light. And your light would pour down on these things, Lord, and bring them to be known. Because, Lord, if they're known to you, you've paid the price. You've already taken care of 
these things for me. I just need to lay them before you, Lord. Lord, I can't do it. I can't control these things. I can't control sin. I can't do it. But you've given me what I need. You've given me your Holy Spirit. And all that's required of me, Lord, is to surrender to you. But surrendering means, Lord, means surrendering all. So, Lord, I just want to give you my all. And I pray if there's anyone out there that's struggling, maybe they've got a few things that they don't want to talk about that they're struggling with. Maybe they just think, I can deal with this. I can handle this. Lord, they can't. We know that. They can't do it without you and the tools that you'll give them to deal with that and the cross and your resurrection power. So, Lord, I pray that they would just bring these things out of darkness, Lord. Just bring them out in the open. And let us come together as a fellowship, as a body, as a group of believers, and love on them. There would be no condemnation, Lord. None. But there would be love, and there would be mercy, and there would be grace, Lord. And there would be support. And there would be healing, and there would be restoration. And there would be lives that would be, again, purposed to serve you. And that your name would be glorified as we see the resurrection, just through that resurrection power and that restoration of lives. Lives that were once broken and slaves to sin, they would be restored to freedom and love and grace and mercy. Lord, let us just lay these things out in the open. As stinky and ugly as they may seem to us, they're no worse than anything I've done, as you know, Lord. Just let them, let them get out there. Let our dirty laundry just hang out there, Lord. Because, Lord, you can clean it. You've done it already for us. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for this story. What a difficult message, Lord. Lord, I fear sin. I do. I don't want it in my life. I don't want to see the death of my relationships, my purpose, my calling. So, Lord, I just pray again. Just bring anything out in the open and clear. That's a big prayer. Mighty big prayer, Lord. I'm that open, though. I'm that open. And, Lord, maybe some people aren't used to true honesty with pastors or with churches, Lord. And they think that, you know, we're perfect. We're no more perfect than the next guy, Lord. We know that. So, Lord, let them know nobody's alone. You're there for us. Hand reached out. All we got to do is surrender to you. Be with us today, Lord, in this week. Watch over us, please, Lord. As this month is starting sweet December, Lord, and this lockdown has been extended. Lord, I know this is difficult for me and my family in this fellowship, but I'm assuming it's even much more difficult for all the people around not being able to get out and sing carols and pronounce your name, and praise your name. So, Lord, please watch over your church. Bless your church and protect your church this week. In Jesus' name, amen.